Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm Lucas. Got Chris here, Uriah's here. Uriah, man, thanks for holding down the fort for me and Chris earlier this week. Very much appreciated. But we're back now, and the Sixers just finished up their shellacking of the Chicago Bulls. How are we feeling tonight, guys? Um, I'm feeling pretty good. How about you guys? I'm feeling good, and it was a pleasure to fill in for you guys. We we always miss your insight, but myself and Jonathan, we filled in, and we, we had some fun. But it's all about you guys tonight and, and this big road victory that I don't think anybody expected. The win was surely surprising. So, Chris, let's just jump into that, man. Yeah, let's jump right in. The Sixers played Chicago tonight. We're podcasting after the game. It's about 10.30 on Thursday evening. Final score was 127 to 105. This game, as most everybody knew, was without Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, who are still in the NBA's COVID protocols after coming into contact with a barber who tested positive before the All-Star game. So it was basically Tobias Harrison company tonight, and it was a pretty thorough victory over a team that's still hanging around the playoff race in the East. Not that that's much of an accomplishment this season. But a pretty surprising victory, as, as both you said. Um, Lucas, what were some of your big takeaways? Well, first off, the shade there, Chris. Gosh. I mean, well, I know we just locked them, but they, they are exciting young core. But you're right that it was unexpected. I think we definitely expected the Sixers to at least struggle for a win in this game, but that was far from it. You got, where do I start? Uh, Tobias Harris, you know, 24 points. Solid, 8 of 15 from the floor. Then you had Danny Green knock three of seven of his three-point attempts down. Tony Bradley, Tony Bradley and we talked about this on the podcast, I have been telling you guys for most of the year that Tony Bradley can be a legit backup center in this game, if nothing else proved that he deserve, he, he, he can do it. I don't know if he deserves it over Dwight, because Dwight had a, had a double-double 18 and 12. Like, but still, come on, guys. Give yeah, Tony I give Bradley you some love. I give respect. you props. I give you props okay. on that. I, I thought about you when he was he was starting to get get pretty um, productive on the offensive end and defensively. So yeah, it's a good call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three blocks, five rebounds, fourteen points, and then and I'm gonna give Uriah some love here because you know what? This is probably the best offensive game that Matisse Thibel has had this year. Five of five from the field, three of three from three-point land, a high season high of 13 points, five steals in the first half. Was really hoping he'd bring, break his career high in the second half, but didn't happen. Tied his career high in steals. Props to Matisse Thibel. And, I mean, besides an ugly shooting game from Shake Milton, there's really nothing to complain about in this game. Oh, well, I guess you can say Curry and Milton. 
But outside of that, like Curry and Milton, they can have off games. The rest of these guys were awesome. Chris, what are your thoughts, man? Yeah. Pretty much everything you said, I would I would echo and second. I mean, despite things that I've said on this podcast in the past, I'm I'm just as thrilled as anyone to watch a good Matisse game, and this was certainly um, a, a very good one from him. He got the start obviously in place of Ben, and he played some great defense on Zach Levine. Five steals, like you mentioned, created a lot of trouble for that Chicago offense. And then you know, any game that Matisse hits three threes you know, much less three of three is a rarity. And hopefully he gains some more confidence from this and starts taking more because that would be a pretty big um, improvement on his part. And just in general, this was a really good all-around team when pretty much everybody stepped up and contributed. A a couple of down shooting nights from Shake and Seth, like you mentioned, but on the whole, a really solid all-around effort from the team. The Sixers haven't gotten a lot of those this season. So the fact that they were able to get one to this degree with both Joel and Ben out is pretty big and it's an impressive win. You know, this team is not mm-hmm. very good um, when Joe and Embiid are not Joe and Ben aren't on the floor. So it's, it's an impressive victory. And I, I, I think it's good to get some momentum going before those two get back. Yeah. And I, I want to point out that uh, doc rivers after the game had said that Tony Bradley has lost 25 pounds since the beginning of the season, which is, mind-blowing if you think about it which you could tell in the beginning of the game i mean gosh you got a steal and a run out for an easy layup at the other end in the first like what five minutes of the game guys like crazy good uh i'm not gonna lie i was a little confused by the starting lineup because like i love thibel and i get the defense but like you don't have a pure like i mean seth curry had seven assists which is great but you know you don't think of seth curry as a facilitator so I was surprised that Milton nor Maxi was starting. I would start one of them if it was me, but you know what? It worked in tonight's game, and I'm happy about it, though. I feel bad for Terrence Ferguson. Yet again, he's only scored in one game that he's played in so far, and this was not one of the, that, that one game. He's the only person that didn't score in this game. Poor Terrence Ferguson. He, he needs to go somewhere else where he can actually get a chance to, to reestablish himself as a rotation player. But yeah, you're absolutely right, Chris. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the the explanation for the starting five is that Doc still likes his all bench groups, and if you don't have shake in that group and you're not going to play Maxi, then you have no shot creation at all. With the starting mm-hmm. five, you can at least lean on Tobias and Seth to get things going a bit. So I, I think that's probably the rationale there. If there's anything to really like nitpick and complain about. If any game was going to be a maxi game where he could get more than four minutes of garbage time, it probably should have been this game. Like, mm-hmm. I understand that he's been pretty rough ever since the first couple of weeks of the season, but there's not a lot of shot creation on this team. He still has a skill set that can benefit the roster when he's having a good night, so I would have liked to see more more out of him, but overall, just a really positive evening. Well, you want to hear my conspiracy theory on that? Here it is. Maybe the Sixers aren't playing him because they don't want teams interested in him. You know what I mean? If you don't play him as much, they're going to be like, oh, well, obviously there's, you know, maybe maybe we don't want him in a trade. I, I don't know. But, I mean. <laughs> benefit would that be to anyone? I, it's, it's not, like I said, it's comp- conspiracy theory. It's not a good one. It was a conspiracy theory. I don't know. I it, You're right that it should have been a maxi game. And we didn't get it. He did score four points on two of four shooting in that time span. Didn't really record. He didn't record any other stats. But, I mean, 
it is what it is. I don't know what else to say. I mean, Doc just is not trusting Maxi right now, and it's a shame because we know what he can be eventually, but I guess just this was not the game to try that out in. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand it generally. I'm I'm, I'm not like some huge play Maxi now guy, but uh, tonight definitely could have been a game for him to get some run. And our next point here on the agenda is how badly was, you know, Warren Bede and Simmons missed in this game. Judging by the box score, not very much, which mm. I don't think is what any of us expected to be the case coming into this game. Uh, Lucas, what do you think this is about about the team, uh, if, you know, them performing I, like this without Joe and Ben? I think this says more about Chicago than it does about, about the Sixers, because we know that the Sixers bench has not always been consistent. And then, you know, it's great to see games like this from Bradley and Thibel. And, you know, this is them playing at their absolute best. But we're not going to get these most nights. So I think it says more about Chicago, which I do want to say this. Like, yeah, Lowry Markin is not an interior defender. But, you know, we don't think of Wendell Carter as a negative interior defender. But that's that's exactly what happened today. He got torn up. The best interior defender was Dad Young, you know, former Sixer. Because Daniel Gafford got destroyed inside. The 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 problem is for the Bulls is that they don't have interior presence, and I think it was the Ringer that recently suggested this. Uh, Bill Simmons of the Ringer that the uh, Bulls should trade Otto Porter for uh, Al Horford to shore up the reserve, you know, backcourt defense, which wouldn't be outrageous considering what we just saw tonight. I mean, Dwight Howard should not be going for eighteen and twelve at this stage in his career. Like, I love Dwight, you know, and I know, you know, somebody else on this podcast does not love Dwight, but um, he, he should not be going for 18 to 12 of 8 of 12 shooting from the floor, getting a whole bunch of lobs. I like that, those lobs, though. I like I those lobs. I do like those lobs. I need I more of those lobs. I love those lobs, but it shouldn't be happening that much. If you have Dwight Howard killing you on lobs at 35 years old, your interior defense is – is the problem here. And it's great that the Sixers had this win, but this is more about Chicago than it does the Sixers. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree The bulls kind of suck. Um, <laughs> unfortunate. I think we've all been saying like they're ready to take the next step for a while now and they just keep not doing it. I don't really know what's next for them. Like they have some decent young pieces. Levine's not going to play much better than this. Uh, so, you know, something has to give at some point. Clearly, Billy Donovan hasn't, you know, unlocked the magic portal. In the, so we'll see what happens there. They might still make the playoffs in spite of their suckiness because the East, again, has sub-500 teams vying for the AC. But we'll see what happens. <laughs> well, I'll say this. If we're if assuming that we're still in the first seed and they get the eighth seed, that's going to be a sweep for us. Yeah, look, if you get your, you know, your, you know what, kicked by a starting lineup of Tony Bradley, Tobias Harris, Danny Green, Matisse Thiebel, and Seth Curry, you, you got you have some soul-searching to do. It, it's just not a good look. Like I said, they need interior defense. That's that's their biggest weakness right now. And, I, uh, you know, like I said, I thought Wendell Carter was not a bad defender, but this game, nah, I don't know what happened here, but it's not it's not what's good. For sure. Um, but let's let's go ahead and move on, Chris, because, you know, trade deadline's coming up. 
me and you both love this season. Uh, I think your favorite season is the draft, but mine is definitely the trade deadline. Um, and there's a lot of fun, you know, rumors going around. According to starting with one, Jason Dumas of Bleacher Report has, uh, you know, reported that the Sixers have inquired about Denver's Will Barton. Chris, is he a fit for Philly? And what would the Nuggets expect in return for a guy like Will Barton? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Barton would be a really solid fit in Philadelphia. Obviously, checks a lot of boxes as a shot-creating wing who can space the floor and defend a little bit. His contract matches up pretty cleanly with Danny Green. I assume if that were a trade that was going to be made, it'd probably be Danny Green and a pick or two. I I don't know how much I'd be willing to give up for Barton. I don't think he's you know, a real, like, needle mover. I don't think he's that much of an upgrade over over Green, but would I I'd trade a few second-round picks, maybe one of the less appealing young guys to, to make that swap? You know, sure. I, I would consider it for sure. Yeah, I think, I think the most I would give up for Will Barden, and, you know, I actually kind of, like... Danny Green, what he does more on the team than what I think Will Barton would bring. Because I like Will Barton. He can go off for like 25 points on any given night, but he could also go off for nine points on any given night. You know, he's he's a streaky shooter, and, you know, there's nothing bad with that. But at the same time, if the Sixers are going to use Danny Green as a trade chip, I'd rather him, you know, them go for somebody bigger, uh, you know, so the contracts, you know, get more out of what you can get for Danny Green. Um, but if 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 they absolutely are dead set on Will Barton, I would say Danny Green, Cork Maz, and a uh, second. That's that's the most I would give for him personally. I wouldn't give anything more. Yeah, I I think that's a totally fair number. Uh, I mean, one of the appeals, I guess, might be that he has an extra year on his contract that the Sixers, mm-hmm. I believe, would be able to exercise and they would get his bird rights. He's younger than Danny is, would maybe be able to be re-signed on a pretty affordable contract. Like, if they aren't able to get anyone bigger, which is a very distinct possibility, if they just wanted to swap Green for a more um, team-friendly long-term contract, then yeah, I, I think that's fine. I do think Barton gives them more dynamism offensively that Green is not giving them right now. Green is the better defender, though I know he's been lambasted quite a bit by the fan base. He's clearly lost a step, but all in all, I think he's a much better defender still than he gets credit for. It would Agreed. be a definite step back in that direction, but it would be a pretty significant step forward probably offensively. So that's a trade-off they would have to make. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I would be totally fine with swapping like Green and a, a second-round pick or two. I, I think that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I wouldn't give up much more than that. Uh, and the other name, of course, is Lamarcus Aldridge of the Spurs. Lamarcus is in the last year of year of his deal, and him and the Spurs have mutually agreed that that to you know go their separate separate ways. The Spurs would want you know they would want to trade him before buyout because I believe. And let me double check this to make sure, but I believe he's making about twenty eight a year. Let me double check this. Twenty four. Twenty four. Okay, thank you. So he's making about twenty four a year. Is Marcus Aldridge really somebody that the Sixers would need to trade for? And if so, like, what do you think the Spurs would want in return for him? 
I mean, yeah, I think it's a pretty easy no. Um, I mean, he's a center at this point. He can't defend power forwards. He can barely defend centers, centers at least based on what we've seen this season. So I, I don't think he's someone they're going to be able to trade for, especially not at $24 million. Um, would he be a very appealing buyout candidate for the minimum or part of that mid-level exception that Philly has? For sure. Um, mm-hmm. Would he maybe rather go play in Brooklyn where he might get more minutes and be on a possibly? And Brooklyn's going to be just a buyout magnet at this point is what it seems but mm-hmm. yeah I, I think he's more of a buyout candidate than a trade option unless you know San Antonio really likes Tobias Harris <laughs> and they want to take that contract off Philly's hands I, I don't really think would you a- would you really want to would that even solve our cap issues though like in actuality though let's let's think about this getting off Tobias Harris's deal which they, I don't think they could, no, they couldn't do straight up because they would, they would still be over the cap. But like yeah. being off Tobias Harris's deal, that wouldn't save the Sixers from salary cap purgatory. They would still be in it because they would I be mean, over the if, cap. If they get off of hypothetically, if they were to get out of Tobias, Green is expiring, they can maybe work some magic and open up a pretty decent amount of cap space. Um, because at that point, it'd really just be Ben and, and Joel locked into big deals. But the Spurs aren't going to want Tobias. They have no reason to want him. I mean, I I hesitate to say that an Aldridge trade is likely. I know the report said that the Spurs were engaged on several fronts. Boston has that traded player exception. If like, I was Boston, I I'd they, go for Kevin Love over Marcus LaMarcus Aldridge. Yeah, I, I would think they might want to aim a bit higher then the Marcus Aldridge for $28.5 million in basically like free cap space in a trade. Yeah, I would. Yeah, like you, you could go for Victor Oladipo or you could go for, you know, Kevin Love. I, I like Kevin Love more than I like LaMarcus at this point, especially for Boston. You know, they already have solid centers. They would they need a power forward. Yeah, and like if, Kevin, if nothing Kevin else Love conveys and it's just like a second round pick for Aldridge, then sure. But. I, I don't think it's by any means a guarantee that he gets traded. I think buyout's a pretty strong possibility. And in that case, then sure, yeah, he'd be an interesting backup five who can space the floor a little bit. Not going to be, again, much of a defender at all, but when he's only playing 10 minutes a night behind Joel, they can probably get away with that. Well, let me so, let me ask you this. Would you rather have LaMarcus Aldridge as your backup or Dwight Howard? I mean, I'd, I'd try LaMarcus for... I'd at least like give him a shot if he wanted to come, but oh, yeah. Well, you know, and here's the thing: I honestly, most of the buyout candidates seem to be centers, and the Sixers, I think, proved tonight that they have one of the deepest, best depths at the center position in the NBA. Right. I think Aldridge definitely solves some some offensive issues with the bench if if they're struggling. Yeah, like I think Aldridge is a pretty big upgrade over Dwight offensively. Tony Bradley is like a fine third center. Lucas, he he's, yeah, he's not he's much. Be- more. He's he, uh, one of the deepest center rotations. Is a bit much. Like, well, unless- okay, can you can you name a center rotation better than the Sixers? I can think of maybe one or two. You mean like bench units? Like I'm talking about, you know. Center depth charts from top to bottom. Well, okay, then of course they do because they have Embiid. 
But like in yeah. terms of well, second I, unit centers, okay. Let's let's have, let's start from second unit back on out. Okay. Yeah, most teams probably have like superior options to Dwight and Bradley. Like, well, okay. I can only think of two: Boston, Utah with Derek Favors, and then the um, yeah, Boston, Utah. Nah, not Boston. Not a chance. Tristan Thompson, Daniel Tice, Tristan Thompson, Rob and Williams, Daniel Tice start together. They start. They start together, Chris. They're not playing. All, they play both of them together. That's not. Yeah, a, but they stagger. They. I I understand it. I mean, I get what you're good. saying. Tony Bradley is not very good. Like, they're very I, mediocre backup centers. That's all I'm saying. Okay, well, I guess I get what you're saying. Uh, LaMarcus, maybe, I'll tell you this. I think if we're looking at teams that big men will go to, obviously the Nets will be one of them. The other team I think that we got to keep an eye on would be the Lakers. I think LaMarcus on the Lakers would make a lot more sense than any other place for him, to be honest. Yeah, like, if he does get bought out, it's probably Brooklyn or LA. Like, I don't think yeah. Philly has much of a chance, but yeah, I would think that's much. He he's not going to get traded here. Basically, is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, not 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 a chance unless they. Daryl Morey's not going to make that type of trade. Yeah, yeah. Um. So I guess huh, is there any other names that you've heard of recently, Chris? Besides those two that you wanted to add before we move on. Um, no, nothing huge. I mean, there are guys that we've touched on in past podcasts, you know, Fournier, Tucker, what have you. Maybe, like, the Oladipo stuff is interesting. I don't know if Philly has the best package for him, but... I, I mean, I honestly, I don't think it would take much to get him. Well, I think other teams are going to want him. Like, it seems pretty clear that Golden State's going to make a, a bid of some kind. You know, you mentioned Boston... Uh, New York. Yeah, like other teams are going to be pretty aggressive for him, I would think. I think there's still some interest there. So, oh, I think I think actually up. the uh, I think the Heat really like him too, or or he really likes the Heat. I don't. Yeah, I think yeah. he really has, likes the Heat. That's right. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I I mean the Sixers would have to give up real pieces to get him. They wouldn't just be able to like scrape by a couple of seconds or anything. Yeah, no, I got you. Um, there was oh, I did write about how Otto Porter Jr. could be a buyout option. How do you? How would you feel about Otto Porter Jr. coming off the bench? Yeah, I mean, I'd feel really good about it. Uh, that's someone I would totally give like the mid level exception to if he were. But oh. you know, I I mean, the Sixers need another like three four who can defend off the bench. That's been a pretty big weakness, a la Mike Scott. Um. So, Love yeah. you, Mike, but not not we, we, you should not be playing in the playoffs. Yeah, like Otto can defend reasonably well. He's an efficient shooter. Hasn't had his best couple of years recently, but he he's a fine player. So I, yeah, I would be, and that was because of health, not because of play. Yeah, so bring him yeah. like twenty minutes, twenty five minutes off the bench in Philly. I think he'd be great. I did read that they uh, he shut down all the talk about him and his agent looking for some type of buyout or trade with Chicago. So I, I, I thought about adding that to the agenda, but I don't think he's available. Well, I'll say this. Kyle Lowry has supposedly shut it down too, but do we honestly believe Kyle? I mean, I believe that he would be perfectly happy to, to stay in Toronto. Um, I mean, the thing, like Kyle, he players don't have much control over trades. They have more control over like a buyout. Like they can accept 
a buyout or not accept the buyout. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit different, but I, I I believe that you know the Raptors aren't just looking to sell Lowry for anything. Like it, it'd probably take a good amount to get him out. Yeah, of yeah. I think the Sixers would have to overpay. It's I know fans hate hearing that for a thirty-four-year-old guy, but fans, if the Sixers get Kyle Lowry, it's going to be an overpay, and you're probably not going to be happy with it. I'm sorry. I agree. And and we can move on now and talk about mm-hmm. everyone's favorite center, Joel Embiid. Yay. So the latest NBA.com Defensive Player of the Year ladder includes the likes of Rudy Gobert, Miles Turner, LeBron James, all of whom Embiid has handled pretty thoroughly in their respective matchups this season, Lucas. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anyone in the NBA right now who you can confidently say, um, you know, would be able to guard and check Embiid one-on-one? Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse's and his schemes are the only person I would trust to slow down and beat significantly. That doesn't I mean, count. Don't be lazy. <laughs> you, that's not creative. That's lazy. We're talking players. Uh, players are play individually. No yeah. individual player can slow okay. down and beat. All right. Can a scheme? Yes, we've seen it with Toronto. That was my point. I'm not trying to be lazy. I was trying to be cheeky. There's a difference. <laughs> Wait, I I know who could shut him beat down. Who? He, he played tonight. Tony Bradley. Oh my gosh. Don't don't tease me like that. <laughs> I, I might start believing it. No, but seriously, there is no one individual player at this point in the season that has slowed down Joel Embiid. Nick Nurse is the only coach that has devised a scheme that can slow down Joel Embiid. But there is no individual player, one-on-one, that can stop Joel Embiid this season. Because he has an answer for that now. The big hulking guys that can slow Joel Embiid down in the past, like Al Horford and Marc Gasol, granted, not only are they getting another year older, another year slower, Joel Embiid's mid-range game and dribble has gotten tighter and better so that he can take those guys off the dribble and do what he does best there. And then for the smaller guys, I mean, have you seen the dude? He's humongous. So, yeah, no, there's nobody that can stop Joel Embiid individually. Yeah, I I agree. I, I mean, any given night, someone might have, you know, a good game, and Joe's going to get flushed every now and then. It happens. He's going to have bad mm-hmm. nights. Some guys playing better than others still. You know, Aaron Baines, Marcus Gasol, what have you, they might have their moments. Uh, we, we we haven't faced um, Horford yet in OKC. I'm very excited for that eventual matchup. Oh, but gosh. Yeah. No, we haven't, have we? <laughs> Generally speaking, n- no one, there's no one in the league who I'd like point to and say he's going to for sure stop, you know, and beat tonight. I don't, we haven't seen Brooke Lopez either. I think that's another uh, big oh, guy yeah. who's given Joe some problems in the past. So that'll be an interesting uh, matchup to see when we get around to the Bucks. But. For the most part, Embiid's like, you know, he's the MVP. He's one of the most yeah. physically imposing players in recent memory. And there's not much you can do to stop him when he when shots are falling and when he's in a rhythm. Uh, when he's out of a rhythm, yeah. when you're bringing a bunch of doubles and he's not making Purple. the rates he needs to, then there's yeah. some problems. But one-on-one, when he's rolling, he, he's pretty much unstoppable. He's basically like, and by the way, I want to point out that we, that 
Stephen A. Smith has finally acknowledged that Joel Embiid's the the best. He should deserves the MVP this year. So if we can get Stephen A. Smith on board, then I feel good about his chance. Much better about his chances than he did before. Than I did before. You're but you're right. Yeah, no, it takes double and triple teams to get Joel Embiid out of his rhythm. And like you said, if he's not making the right reads, like he can't against Toronto for some reason then it's it's a problem for the Sixers and for Joel. But otherwise, I mean, like you said, there isn't... I mean, we haven't seen Brooke Lopez. We haven't seen Al Horford, which you're right, those are two very exciting matchups um, for Joel and B. But I think he's going to... It's clear that he's taking those type of matchups personally this year. And I think we'll see some fun stuff in the second half on in that regard. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we we will see what happens. And um, to quote Darren Moore recently, he said, the most unstoppable thing I've ever seen in regards to Joel, and I've seen a lot, you know who I've seen. I think we can all assume that that last line is, you know, a nod to James Harden, who he um, was very fond of in Houston. Lucas, do you think Moore is just saying this because he's Sixers GM and it's good PR? Or do you think he really holds Embiid's dominance higher than that of James Harden? I think he's being serious. Daryl Morey is not the type of guy that blows smoke. He he generally... Okay, generally, wait, wait, wait. Daryl Morey is not the kind of guy to blow smoke. When it comes to, like, hype... I, I, okay, yes, he can blow Darryl, smoke. Daryl Morey is like a chain smoker, okay? That's a violation, Lucas. Chris called you on that. Good one, Chris. Let me put it this way. Yes, I believe it. I do believe it because when you think about it like this, there are defenders that can slow down James Harden. We saw it with Ben Simmons this year. This season, Joel Embiid's having the most dominant, you know, season as a big man since Shaq. I think he's. I don't think he's lying about this season. So that's. I'll leave it at that. Okay. That that like that's. I do believe that Maury is being earnest in his appreciation of what Joe's doing. Obviously, he's a very special player, but, like, if we're going to be real here. Like, like James Harden's put up some even better numbers. Like, in recent seasons, you know, it's... Like, I, I don't think Joel is quite on the level of what we've seen from James over a much longer period of time. Like, Joe's been doing it for 25 games. Harden's been a top-two MVP candidate for, like, four or five years now. Um, So it's hard for me to say that he's really on that level. Um, But, yeah, I mean, like, like Embiid's the MVP frontrunner right now. He's clearly doing something that very few players can or have done period. Um, but I do think he's blowing a bit of smoke here. Like it sounds good. It, it, you know, <laughs> for the guy who, who got James Harden to Houston to be saying that Embiid's the most dominant player he's ever seen. It, it sounds good. He's also the guy who said James Harden was the best offensive player of all time when he was in Houston. Like this is the kind of stuff he says. I, I wouldn't put too much stock into it. Like, the last three seasons, Harden is averaging 33.7 points and 7.9 assists on 45% shooting. Like, he's been the one and only, like, centripetal force of that Houston offense 
for a while. I so it's hard to say that you know Embiid's topping that, but I, I do think. Well, I think he's playing with his words a little bit. I, I think I think that's what what's happening here. Like you said, he's called James Harden the best offensive player ever. He's saying that Joel Embiid's the most unstoppable player. I mean, if you want to get into yeah. like lingo, I think he's trying to play with his words there to separate yeah, them. I mean, yeah, it, it's like semantics. That's a, yeah, that's definitely a Maury thing. Like he's he's being just vague enough to you know give the fans something to chew on. He's not gonna come right out and say it in, in plain terms. So I, I do think that's fair. Like, if we're really going to seriously compare the career arcs of Joe Embiid and James Harden, like, Joe's nowhere near there yet. But, like, unstoppable. Yeah, he's 7'2", 280. Like, and he's a much better defender. Like, like, like Embiid's a dominant force. So I, I, I totally agree with him in that sense. It really just depends on how you're defining it. But... Yeah, I, I do think Daryl Morey blows a lot of smoke. <laughs> I, have to call I, I think I think it's just strategic, though. It's not just him. It's not like Jerry Jones of the get Dallas Cowboys blowing smoke. It's you know strategically blowing smoke. Yeah, I mean, look, he knows how to like play to the crowd. He he understands how internet culture works. He knows how to get fans excited on Twitter, and that's what he does. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on to the last part here. So, Lucas, do you think Terrell Embiid is is the most efficient scorer in the league? He is averaging right now 30.2 points a game on 18.2 shots a game. And do you think he can maintain the efficiency that he has had this season, um, you know, in the second half? I don't know if he can maintain it. That's That's the honest truth. I will say this. This contract tracing, I think, is a blessing in disguise in terms of, of course, it's great that he did not get COVID so far. You know, we have to wait until the final test comes out before the next game. But um, I think it's a blessing because he got like a full week of like week plus of rest for a guy that's been going as hard as Joel Embiid. The same thing for Ben Simmons, but we're talking about Embiid here. Having that full week of rest with no All Star game, that is that is like the ultimate thing that Joel probably needed right now. So, I think it's a good start for him to be able to maintain it. And do I think he's the most efficient scorer? Um, well, I'll say this: uh, last month he he was scoring because I just I just published this today. Uh, about you know player rankings in February last month, he was scoring 32 points on 49% shooting from the field, and I believe what is it, 42% shooting from the three-point line, and like 85% shooting from the uh, free throw line. So he's pretty darn close. If he's not the best, I would say that he's probably top five efficient. If we're talking about volume score, then I would say yes. But if we're talking like pure efficiency, then no. Because obviously Joel Embiid takes some bad shots here and there. But I I think in terms of pure volume sure, score, I would say he's probably up there with the like, likes of James Harden, even though James Harden has, you know, you know significantly decreased his volume. Um, Kevin Durant, when he's healthy, um, 
Those, those, and, and Zach Levine, obviously. Uh, he's if he's not, I, 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 I don't feel comfortable saying that he's absolutely the number one most efficient scorer, but I would put him in the top three for sure. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. He's certainly in the conversation. He's you know fifty, forty, eighty-five on. Mm-hmm higher volume than most players he gets to the free throw line and at an elite rate which is a a very underrated part of being an efficient scorer in this league Mm -hmm. getting to the free throw line and hitting your free throws as often as Embiid does helps quite a bit averaging 30 on 18 shots a game is not an easy thing to do um you know most efficient is hard to quantify he's not shooting the highest field goal percentage he's second to Jokic in PER player efficiency rating but yeah he's, he's up there he's in the conversation he's in that group of elite like top of the league guys um i don't know if he's number one but he, he's definitely in that that mix with someone like a Jokic, you know a curry mm-hmm. whoever however you want to slice it but yeah he's he's in the in the mix for sure and, and then let's go ahead and transition this to our last convert uh, last topic and Chris, it's been over a year now since the NBA first did their first, their shutdown because of the, the Rudy Gobert positive test last year. So where were you when you heard this news? It was probably like around spring break because I know that was the week everything shut down. So I was home from school for the week. It was probably around that. I would assume it was around that vicinity. Like So I, uh, basically I was at home doing something in my house. Um not not anything super exciting, um, but yeah, that's about as much as I can. can Do you remember recollect. if you were shocked or not? Yeah, I mean, of course, I, I was a bit shocked. I don't think anyone could have predicted how bad the pandemic would get. Yeah, it was it was a pretty shocking moment. Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, I was working when I heard the news. Um, I thought it might have been only for like a. I thought okay, the longest this thing is gonna go was only gonna be for like a month, maybe. Like Adam Silver said in his recent interview, I did not see it going as long as it did. Um, and I think yeah, I think there was a level of shock there for sure. Um, I didn't really understand how big coronavirus was at the time either. I think that was part of the shock for sure, that it was like, okay, well, we've had a lot of other diseases that came over from other countries in recent years, like swine flu and all that, but it didn't affect our, you know, lifestyle as much as, you know, the, 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 it shut down the NBA. I mean, I don't think anybody was expecting that. And, you know, I will say this, the NBA shutting down was a catalyst for everything else shutting down. Because you didn't really see stuff shutting down in America until the NBA shut down. Yeah, they were definitely a trendsetter in that sense. I, I do think, just generally speaking, like the country as a whole kind of underestimated the virus. Um, mm-hmm. Like that's a whole different conversation for a different podcast with a different focus. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think everyone was kind of shocked with how bad it got, how quickly it got bad and how long it is now stay bad. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I remember when I think it was after the Sixers Detroit game that they started showing Mark Cuban's response when there was a game that was canceled at the last minute. I think it was the Dallas game. 
And when I saw that, and then the post-game Sixers game after Detroit, that's all anyone was talking about. And then the next day, I saw my students, and everyone's curious about what's going to happen. And the next thing you know, the NBA and the NHL shut down. That's when you knew it was pretty serious, when multiple leagues started shutting down everything. And if I remember from that, from that because of that Detroit game, the Sixers had like how many, like at least three staff members that that contracted coronavirus. Um, yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that, or three members of the franchise. That's how they put it to make sure that what that they we didn't know if it was staff members, coaches, or players. That that's how they put it. Um, but yeah, no, there's definitely some questions like what's going to happen now. And I don't know about you guys, and I don't know if this is we can even use this, but I want to bring it up anyway. Did you guys like have a toilet paper shortage where you live too? Because like all the grocery stores and dollar stores and all that just toilet paper disappeared for like almost a month where I lived because of this whole entire pandemic. Yeah, I mean, my <laughs> I will say that my mother generally has a pretty solid stock of toilet paper in the house. We have, you know, five people here, so we we generally have a pretty good amount laying around, so it wasn't really a problem for us. We're also not, you know, downtown or anything. We aren't in, in a major, like, metropolitan area, so that, that benefit, that was a benefit, I guess. But, yeah, it wasn't as big a problem for us as it was for other people. So, well, I so mean, that... we, we, were, we were fine, too, but at the same token, like, I live in the mountains, dude, and we still had, like, shortages. That's that's the crazy part. Yeah, I mean, like, like the stores are definitely clearing out. I was never the one doing the shopping, so I was I didn't get to see it firsthand necessarily, but, like, you know, we really had to fight to get our hands on hand sanitizer, stuff like that, masks ran oh, yeah. out quickly, of course. So there, there were definitely, there was definitely stuff like that going on, for sure. And uh, let's—I don't want to stay on the subject of toilet paper, but I do want to bring <laughs> up the, uh, the, you know, how the NBA fit, was able to finish that season because of the bubble. So do you guys? Uh, I guess you're right because you're already in this. Let's let's keep you in this. Uh, what was your most memorable aspect of the bubble, guys? I, I just remember when the season ended. It was a big bummer, and we didn't have sports for a while. Oh, yeah. And then you started seeing the NBA coming together, drawing up plans, and and they would phase in the different ideas of how they would restart. And I was thrilled. I was really happy, and that's when I started writing for the Sixer Sense and, and doing podcasts with you guys. So it was novel. It's something we'll never forget. I just mm-hmm. remember being relieved. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, same here. I think everyone was glad to have basketball back because there wasn't much else to do at that point um, when we were all stuck at home. Um, I mean, I, I, like a lot of people, was pretty skeptical of, of starting back up in the middle of a pandemic, um, but the league clearly handled it well. It was probably the most effective like league restart of any sports league we've seen in America so far. Um it's it's a shame that they weren't able to go back to a bubble for this season. Obviously, that would have been too much for for players and their families. I understand why they didn't do it. Um, but it it was really like you said, it was novel. It was a, a very bold strategy that worked out in their favor. I think we got a lot of really good basketball out of it. Um, some like career defining stretches from a lot of the younger guys who were in the bubble. 
so yeah it, it was a very memorable time and a very a very memorable experience well i'll say this the two things that stuck there were two things that stuck out for me from the sixers aspect we were finally going to see what ben simmons looked like at power forward but then you know the thing it, it what was never happened because of injury obviously but I guess beyond that, just the Phoenix Suns, man, they they were a show to watch in there. That that was awesome for them. I thought you were going to say I thought you were going to say lemon pepper wings, but I, I'm. Uh, I mean, lemon, lemon pepper wings, them too, man. How about how about the shake and bead almost going head to head, fist punching oh. and oh yeah, <laughs> wrestling to the ground. Oh, that yeah. was that was oh. dr- dramatic right there. They got into it in that one game. Who was that a playoff game or was that just a regular, you know, eight, one of the eight games? That was like the first game back, wasn't it? That was like really uh, early on. Yeah, that was the first game back. That was like our yeah. first case. <laughs> Sixers in the bubble was shaking and being almost fighting. Yeah. I was just like, I was, and when I saw that, I was like, what, where, why isn't Brett Brown talking to either one of them? <laughs> That should have been a sign of what was to come in terms of chemistry for the rest of the bubble. And then Shake came back and hit that three against San Antonio. That was a, a uh, big clutch shot that he made. But you know that you know what the bubble also revealed about Shake? He cannot play against TJ McConnell at all. Not allowed to. <laughs> when, when the Sixers play the Pacers, when TJ is on the court, Shake should not be. I love Shake, but for some reason. McConnell couldn't rattle his cage so bad. Yeah. But uh, let's go ahead and finish it out. But I think Uriah, do you have a uh, unique fact factoid for us this uh, midweek edition of our podcast? Yeah, I'm not. It's not anything associated with the history of the team, but it, it is relative to something contemporary in terms of popularity. So what I'm going to do is I have a list of the most popular teams in the NBA based on merchandise and top popular NBA jerseys. So I'm going to, I'll go to Chris first and Chris, give me, who do you think are the top five jerseys sold in the league? Chris, you there? Uh, I, I can go ahead in the meantime. All right, go ahead. Okay. So I'm pretty sure you're going to have LeBron in the top five. You have to have LeBron. You're going to have Steph. That's an easy one. And Luca's going to have to be in there. Mm -hmm. I got a feeling, and we talked about this, I'm going to say Katie's going to be in there, and I'm going to be a homer here and say Joel's number five. Actually, Joel is not even in the top 15. What? Yeah, what? and this is this is from John Clark from NBC. So he's not going to mm-hmm. post anything that's that's inaccurate. But we'll go. Uh, LeBron was one, Luca two, Durant okay. three, Steph Curry four, and with number five we have Giannis Antetokounmpo. Oh, I should have thought of Giannis. I don't know why I didn't. Yeah, yeah. That is so. international. Okay. But it's crazy that Embiid, Embiid didn't even crack the top 15. That, that's a violation. I'm assuming Simmons didn't either. No, he didn't, which is surprising as well. So, Well, you know, centers' jerseys don't sell like they used to, man. That's, that's, that's the issue. My parents, when I first started watching basketball, I was a big Shaq fan. He was on the heat at the time. So my parents bought me a Shaq jersey. 
and I had that until very recently. Don't have it now, but um, I'm back, guys. Sorry. Hey, hey, you missed He's back. it. No, that's all right. Okay. So, Chris, so what I'll do for you is since Lucas went and gave us the top four players who sold the most jerseys this year, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to ask you who do you think are the top five most popular team merchandise just overall? Okay. Um, well, Lakers, Nets, Warriors, Bucks, Mavericks. Mavericks were number eight, and the Bucks were number ten. So number four is well, Lucas. Do you want to see if you can get four and five? Okay, the Knicks have to be oh, one of the them. Knicks. Ah. No, no. Come on, guys. Really? Really? The, the Knicks. Really? Come on. Not no. The Knicks? They're not even in the top 10. How, how okay, dare you say the Okay, what about the Heat? The Heat? the Heat are number six. So, ah. Yeah. So, stay, we're still in the East. Oh, we're four Clippers. and five. Sorry. Yeah, Clippers. No, not, not Clippers. What? The Sixers? Sixers are number five. What? And who's hey. number four? Wow. Okay. Uh, is it also an East team? Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm trying to think here. Well, is it Boston? Yes, Boston. Uh, Boston's number four, six is number. So even though, sense. so Chris, even though Embiid and Simmons didn't even crack the top fifteen in terms of jersey sold, the Sixers were fifth overall with team merchandise sold. So that's yeah, bittersweet. It's all those maxi jerseys. <laughs> number zero stop with maxi man you gotta start with you know tony bradley <laughs> nah matisse dible at number 22 uh, well, i know what Get i'm gonna do for christmas now <laughs> and i know i'm gonna get chris like a how nettle you know jersey. <laughs> uh, uh, washington wizards nettle jersey Ugh. that's disgusting <laughs> I, I, i'd rather wear a false jersey than that I I I mean I still have my Horford jersey. <laughs> Did you really buy a Horford jersey? Yeah, I mean, and I on that note, ladies and gentlemen, that's the Sixers Sense podcast it for the night. It wasn't a proper <laughs> Horford jersey. I didn't shell out the big bucks. It, I do have a Horford jersey. I have a Simmons jersey, and I have uh, it was like the throwback jerseys with you know like the the cursive seventy sixers across the front. Do you drink chocolate milk every time you wear your Al Horford jersey? I, I don't really wear it. It <laughs> didn't fit very well. Again, didn't didn't buy. Neither did he. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just like him, it wasn't the best fit. But <laughs> I, I, so no, I don't drink chocolate milk with it. <laughs> All right, I think that's it, guys. All right, well, Chris, you want to play us out, bud? Alrighty, to all our listeners, thanks again for tuning in to another week's episode of the Sixer Sense Podcast. We have some exciting guests coming up in the future, so we encourage you to keep checking on in. We always appreciate you giving us the time of week to talk Sixers. If you want to leave us a review, a five-star rating, what have you on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you are listening, it would be a great help to us. We would really, really appreciate it. And we will be back soon with some more Sixers Talk next week. So thanks, everyone. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.